going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this evening. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would instruct us and teach us, that you would have mercy on us for the way in which we are, are finite and we are limited in understanding wisdom. And yet we pray that you would bestow your grace upon us, that you might give us capacity to learn, to grow, and especially to worship you in spirit and truth. We ask that you would do these things for the building up of your church and for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. For the summer evenings that we are going to gather together, I've been looking at the broad and what I find a, a difficult topic of the relationship that Paul has to the law, the law of Moses, the, the Torah, the the book of the books of Moses, and not being a Jew myself, I have a hard time understanding his relationship, as he was a very consummate Jew, one who studied deeply and knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. It seems the the Old Testament, and yet much of what we read in Paul's books in the New Testament are polemical. That is, they are an attack on those that would come against Christianity. Um, I had to look up what a polemic uh, discussion is. I was not uh, like our brother. I was not on the debate team uh, in high school, and I uh, never took a debate course in high school or college. And uh, to, to my detriment, I think that um, I, I miss out. But a uh, Polemic is an aggressive attack on or refutation of the opinions and principles of another. And what we find is Paul speaking about the Christian life, the way we ought to walk, and he seems to signal that there is a way to walk and please God, as he uses the phrase here in Thessalonians, that is other than what the Jews expected him to say. The Jewish Christians, and we, we saw that in the book of Galatians, that they were expecting him to say a certain thing. And yet Paul is silent on a lot of what we might expect him to say about the law. And again, we saw that in Galatians, but also we see it in Romans and Colossians and Ephesians. And so we can sometimes wonder with the Jew, Jewish Christians, does the absence of Paul's command to walk according to the law of Moses, does that open Christians to walking in immorality, walking in sin, walking in a, in a freedom that they should not have? Paul answers that in Galatians, but again, it's, it's kind of, we're expecting him to say something that he does not say. But Paul does 
have teaching toward godly conduct. It's not as if Paul is saying, you, you now have a license to sin, but he does look at the Christian life, how we ought to walk and please God. We hear him saying rhetorically, because he can hear it coming through as he, as he writes these letters. Paul asks, should Christians keep on sinning that grace may abound? And we, of course, we know his answer is, may it never be. God forbid. No, that is not the case. But what does he say about how we ought to walk and please God? What does he say about the law of Moses in relation to walking and pleasing God? Well, I believe the standard Jewish answer to that question would be by walking according to the law of Moses. If we look briefly at a few passages from the Old Testament, we see this idea of walking. It, is, it comes to the forefront. In Leviticus 26, we, we hear um, Moses writing, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season so that the land will yield its produce and so forth. God is saying through Moses, if you walk in my statutes, walk in my commands. He's thinking of these, these laws that he has given to Moses to give to the people. Walking, it seems to be a metaphor which comes through clearly to live according to the law of Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we hear again, there, Moses writing down these things and proclaiming them to the people. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. So the walking in his statutes, keeping his commands, walking in his ways, these are all phrases that the Old Testament uses for how to walk and please God, how to live a life that pleases Jehovah. To walk, again, is portrayed in Exodus chapter 16. It's in the passage about the rain. Uh, rain uh, he says, I will rain bread from heaven. And he says that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Well, what is God's instruction but the laws of Moses that were given uh, through Moses? So how were the Jews to please God? Again, the standard answer, I believe, would be to walk according to the law of Moses. The, the word to walk in the Hebrew is halakha. Uh, it, it was the word that the Jews used. They, they actually took that word and made a, a word out of it uh, being used for their conduct according to the law. The, the, the phrase is halakha. And it, it um, sorry, uh, halak is to walk. Halakha is that which they used as a phrase that meant to walk according to the law of Moses. It was a metaphor for their, referring to how they ought to conduct themselves in their lives. Again, using Paul's phrase, how what, would we walk and please God? We will walk according to the law. And we know that in Paul's day, or at least in Jesus' time, we hear him um, being asked the question where they are referring to this idea of walking according to the law of Moses. In Mark chapter 7, the, the Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus 
And they say, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but they eat their bread with impure hands? There's still that idea uh, ingrained in the Jewish culture of walking and pleasing God means following the commandments of the, of, of the law of Moses. Now the Greek word is parapateo, which again means to walk, and it has an idea in the scriptures of to conduct oneself. It's a Jewish thought, but it's expressed in, in the Greek words in our scriptures. Paul uses the metaphor 32 times in his letters to, to talk about conduct concerning believers, that you ought to walk in a certain way. We, we encountered that in Galatians, that we ought to walk according to the Spirit. Um, and not walk according to the flesh. So this idea of walking, this idea of, of moving, this, uh, if you will, pedestrian idea, it, it is not something to be sneered at. It is something that is ingrained in the culture, and even Paul picks it up. Paul is not unconcerned about how believers walk, how they ought to please God. If we were to look at, at his um, texts, the, the books that, that he authored, uh, we would see a deep concern. You've read the books of First and Second Corinthians. What, what's the main thing that we see there? It's healing of divisions between brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters. The, the healing of, of the splits in the, in the churches and their, their um, divisions among the, the body of Christ. If you go to Philippians, we, we see him disarming uh, a quarrel between sisters in, in the scriptures. In Thessalonians, the book that we have in front of us here, he's, he's anticipating Christ's return and instructing them how they ought to con conduct themselves, the attitudes they ought to have uh, as they wait for Christ's return. And in Timothy and Titus, we get uh, instruction in church order, how they ought to uh, conduct themselves and, and appoint elders and deacons in their congregations, and, and as well as following sound doctrine. So again, Paul is not putting aside conduct in order to you know, be, make his statement, his polemical statements against those who came against Christianity, it is still in the forefront. And his usage of this term, to walk, is to teach Christians exactly that, how to walk, how they ought to walk and please God. It's a Jewish thought that comes out thoroughly out of the Old Testament scriptures, but it is phrased and used for Christian believers. But again, when we look at Paul's letters, we find that it is not what Paul, so much at least in the forefront, says about the law in relation to the believers, but it's what he doesn't say, what he leaves out. And I know from this just study and reading that we have to be careful when we talk about an argument from silence. Arguments from silence are can, can be tricky because just because I didn't say something to my children doesn't mean 
that I don't believe that it ought to happen. Um, I can't think of a great example because most of my, all my children are grown and living on their own. But as a, as a father, there are times when you say, you know, pick up your room. And there are certain things that you don't say. You don't say every toy. It's we have some idea. So when, I, when an author or a speaker leaves something out, there is it's a, trying to understand why it's left out and what that means. And in looking at this, I, I have a book by a man by the name of Brian Rosner, and he, he gave a, a couple of things that, that helped me out on this. Because I, again, um, trying to understand, well, how do you wrestle with arguments from science? And he points out that there, there are three things to look for when you look at a text or you listen to someone and, and you're, you're expecting them to say certain things and you don't hear them. There are three components. There's omission, there's reversal, and there's substitution. Again, just briefly, what do these mean? Well, omission, obviously, is when an author doesn't say something that you're expecting him to say, and it could just be that he omitted it from forgetfulness or on purpose. But there is also, we listen for reversal. Does the author say something the opposite of what you were expecting him to say? So you're listening for this, but he says something that is opposed to that, or goes in the opposite direction. And sometimes an author will put something in place of what you expected him to say, which means a substitution. Not this, but I mean this. And so when we read through Paul in relation to the law, I think it's helpful to keep those three things in mind. We don't hear this when we might expect him to say to Christians, you must keep the law of Moses. But we don't hear him say that, I believe, in reading through Paul's letters. We don't hear him use that word, that phrase explicitly. Christians must walk according to the law of Moses. We don't hear him or read him encouraging Christians to do the law or to keep the law. We don't read of Christians following the law as a legal code, as the legal code of conduct for how they ought to walk and please God. But the Jews did. Again, we see it from the Old Testament that a few passages or a few verses really from uh, Romans chapter 2 um, I think gives an indication of what Paul um, again from his background but also from his uh, writing to and thinking of those Jews that he dealt with we, we see in Romans 2 that the law in to the Jews is that legal code in Romans 2, verse 17, he writes, But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law in the law the embodiment of the knowledge and truth, you, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? 
we see a lot of things in there, and I don't intend to unpack all of those things, but we hear words like rely on the law, boast in God, and later he says boast in the law. Um, the Jews have light, they have knowledge, they have truth because of the law. But we don't read Paul writing those phrases for Christians. We don't read him writing those things to believers in Christ, the, the Gentiles who have come to know Christ, or the Jews who have come to know Christ. But we do read phrases as we read in Galatians 3, the righteous man shall live by faith. The Jew would say, again, if you are bear the name Jew and rely upon the law. Well, Paul doesn't use that phrase to Christians, but he does say you must have faith in Christ. The righteous man shall live by faith. And he's writing in Galatians, but he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Or in Romans 15, he writes, Therefore in Christ I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. In Christ Jesus I find my reason for boasting, not boasting in the law and my ability to keep that law. And of course in Galatians 6, he writes, May it, may it never be that I would boast in anything except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 15 again, he says, For I say that Christ has become a servant, a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. He, he's looking at truth. He's looking at the will of God. He's looking at that which God would, would teach his people. And he says, For I say that Christ has become the servant. That, that instructs me, that helps me see these things. He doesn't tell Christians that in the law you will find truth as it relates to God to confirm the promises. In Romans 12, this great passage that will be very familiar to all of you, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He, he's quoting, or I'm quoting from Romans 12, verse 2, but it follows very closely to Romans 12, verse 1, that says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. If we don't hear God say, you're finding the will of God in the law of Moses. He is looking at I believe that a new era has come. That in Christ, things have changed. That we're looking at a time when we are instructed, as he says in 2 Corinthians 3, as servants of a new covenant, he says, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's as if in 2 Corinthians 3, he's kind of summing up an era that has passed, a past history. The, the letter of the law, he says, kills, but the Spirit gives life. So what is the Christian syllabus for how to walk and please God? Well, obviously, in the little bit of time we have together, I cannot exhaust all of that. But we do learn 
And we do find the way. And we do are exhorted to walk in good works. And we are exhorted by Paul to be fruitful in our Christian walk. So briefly, we learn, again, not from being instructed by Paul to the, the, the way to learn is by the law of Moses, but the way of life. We are told to walk in the way of life, to, to practice piety. He says walk and practice piety, to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs. These are the things in which we are to walk. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, But you did not learn Christ in this way. You have heard him, meaning by the law. He says, You have heard him, and you have been taught in him, laying aside the old self, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. These are the ways in which we learn, because we learn of him. We are taught of him. We learn it through Christ. We learn Christ in this way. And what does the way mean for Paul but following Christ? In Acts chapter 18, we, we see and we're introduced to this great preacher of Apollos. And it says he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. But he had more to learn. He had to learn a more excellent way. And it says, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. That, again, it was not that they took him to the law of Moses, but they explained to him what they understood and what they had been taught by the apostles about walking and pleasing God. Again, Paul is never far from exhorting his followers, his fellow believers, to good works as an outworking, though, of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, we read, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And what is the context of Galatians 5 into Galatians 6? But it's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. This is the context of Paul saying, but do not turn your freedom that you have in Christ into a license to sin, but through love serve one another. But where does that love, where does that peace, that joy, that walking and pleasing God come from but a fruit of the Holy Spirit? And he goes on to say in chapter 6, And let us not lose hearts in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. It's all in a context. It's all flows together. It is Paul answering that question, How ought we to walk and please God? And then, as we've already mentioned, fruitfulness. That we would bear fruit in keeping with our confession of faith. Positive fruitfulness comes from a knowledge of God as given through the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 1, we hear Paul writing these words, We have not ceased to pray for you and to, not, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord 
to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is how Paul, I think, answers that question. How ought we to walk and to please God? He doesn't answer as the Jews might have answered, to walk according to the law of Moses. But he says, according to this new covenant, according to Christ, according to the freedom that we have because we are in Him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would instruct us and teach us. Again, we ask that you would help us to, to see if these things be so, to, to search the Scriptures, to ask these types of questions, to, to dig for the answers, not just for our knowledge, but that we may truly walk and please you, that you would get the glory for all the, the things that we might accomplish in this life, all the things that we might do that would be termed good works or fruitfulness, that the glory would not be ours, but the glory would be yours. We ask that you would do these things. Again, build up your church and make her that bride to be presented to you without spot or blemish or any such thing. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Please rise for the benediction from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Again, Paul writes, And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints.